As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds, it was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learned something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just 348 With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even... Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money from the dog days of summer through the October Classic. Greg Faces Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP. Sunday to all of you listening out there. Welcome into the Zuni Tequila Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. It is Greg Peterson coming at you once again, and we've got a tremendous show for you as our man Jake Asman out there with SB Nation Radio, which as you guys know is based out in the great city of Houston. He is going to be joining me in the second segment. Now, truth be told, we did record that interview before the combined team no-hitter. Certainly going to have some thoughts on that in the first segment, so that was absolutely insane. But we're going to be talking about what the Houston Astros all did at the trade deadline. Apparently on Saturday, it looked pretty darn good. Just some of the races in general with regards to the playoffs and just talk a little bit about how stacked the Houston Astros pitching staff is. And once again, we saw that on full display on Saturday, if that's not a hint as to what's coming up next. As that is going to be a lot of fun in the final segment, I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board. And something I like to call touch them all. Did not get in any Twitter questions into the Twitter mailbag. As always, if you have a question for the podcast, tweet it in at junior 41 I'm not someone that looks through my DMs. It's just essentially a 
desolate wasteland. If you've sent something there, it will never come back out. But if you tweeted to the timeline, always happy to answer your questions. And now let's get into what we all saw on Saturday as it was a fun Saturday of baseball. Tried to find some trends, tried to become better handicappers from it, and just give you guys a nice little recap in general. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. We got a double dose of Yankees versus Red Sox, and the Yankees were able to win both of these games as in game one of the doubleheader, the Yankees took it 9-2 with Chris Sale on the mound. And Chris Sale, I will say the home plate umpire did not give him much help, but neither did late, but neither did DJ LeMayu. This man went three and two-thirds innings, giving up eight runs, all of which were earned, including a pair of home runs to DJ LeMayu, his 16th and 17th of the year. In this game, it is of note that Edwin Encarnacion did wind up getting injured. He is on the injured list, so... That was not so good for the Yankees, but everything else went really well, including Domingo Herman. He goes seven innings. He gives up two runs, both of which were earned. He is now 14-2. and two. If you look at Odd Shark, they always do the most and least profitable pitchers out there in the big leagues. Domingo Herman entering into Saturday was among the top ten in that list. He just continues to climb, and not necessarily because he's got the best ERA or anything, but, but if you've bet $100 on every one of his starts, you're up $774, according to Odd Shark, so that went really well, and for the Red Sox, they were able to get some good bullpen pitching after sale left, I will say that, four and a third innings. You give up just one run, Josh Smith pitching four of those innings, so tip of the hat there, and it was needed because in game two, the bullpens were having to go a long ways as Brian Johnson and Chad Green, the two starters in this one, needless to say, they weren't long for it. Chad Green wound up pitching one inning as an opener. Then you had Nestor Cortez Jr. and Chance Adams pitch two innings for the Yankees. Each gave up two runs in their two innings. And then from there, Adam Bonavino, Tommy Canley, Zach Britton, Aroldis Chapman, all one inning, all don't give up a single run for the New York Yankees. And the Yankees, by the way, when Chad Green is an opener, now 9-0. and That is something that you want to note. And this game stayed under because the Yankees left 10 men on base, but they were able to get a pair of home runs, this time from Glaber Torres, his 22nd and 23rd of the year. As in this one for the Boston Red Sox, Brian Johnson was the starter, and he might as well have been an opener. He won three innings. He gave up three runs, including one of those home runs. You figured that he wasn't going to be very long for this game, and then they had to use a mismatch of different relievers. They wound up getting a combined five innings, giving up three runs, as Josh Taylor wound up being a man that gave up one run. He went the longest of the relievers, going one and two-thirds innings. So, needless to say, not an ideal day for Boston. But the good news for them in this one is the fact that they were able to get a home run out of Rafael Devers, his 22nd home run of the year. Not a lot of offense out there in the city of Philadelphia as it was the Phillies being able to get a 3-2 win over the Chicago White Sox. Got to give a hats off to Ross Detweiler. This is a guy that entered with an ERA that was right around 6-ish. He winds up going 5 and 2 thirds innings. He gives up two runs, and both of which were solo home runs, as Reese Hoskins and Bryce Harper, two guys that need to get it going for the Philadelphia Phillies, well, they both went deep. For Harper's 19th home run of the year, and Hoskins is 24th. Those came in the fourth inning. And then from there, a bullpen of the White Sox, which has been solid all year. Once again, it was pretty good. Three and a third innings, they give up one run. And for the White Sox... It's just the offense that's right now not coming through. In 20 out of their last 25 games, they've scored four runs or fewer, and I believe that 19 out of their last 25, they've scored three runs or fewer. And for the Phillies, the offense isn't a whole lot better. In 14 out of their last 20 games, they've scored four runs or fewer, so needless to say, it takes some unders there, but you got to give it to the Philadelphia Phillies with Aaron Nola. Seven innings pitch, gives up just one run. He has really had one bad start ever since the beginning of the month of July. He looks to be dialed in. And Nick Bavetta, in a relief role, actually looks decent for this team. He did give up one run in his two innings, but that was caused by Gene Segura throwing error. If it weren't for that, 
your run line would have cashed and he wouldn't have given up any runs. The Tampa Bay Rays seem to be on a little bit of a streak of overs as they wind up taking down the Miami Marlins by a count of 8-6. to six. You take a look at the Tampa Bay Rays. This is a team that's all of a sudden getting into the act with regards to their scoring as each of their last six games have went over the total. And in this one for the Tampa Bay Rays, they didn't necessarily get the best bulk appearance out of Jalen Beeks. The opener, Diego Castillo, winds up giving a good inning, but Beeks goes four innings. He gives up four runs, three of which were earned. And then you had Chaz Rowe come in in two innings. He gave up two runs, but only one of which was earned as the pitchers were hurt by a pair of errors. But then from there, they were able to close the door, including Nick Anderson making his debut with the Tampa Bay Rays. And making a big statement for the Tampa Bay Rays is another one of their big acquisitions as Eliza Hernandez is going to be haunted by Gene Segura as he went deep twice in this one. His 11th and 12th of the year. Austin Meadows also had a home run his 18th and William Adamas his 14th. That's for the Miami Marlins. Eliza Hernandez did not deliver the start that they desired. He winds up going three innings and giving up five runs, all of which were earned, including those two home runs to Gene Segura. I will say the Miami Marlins bullpen has been improved recently, and in five innings, they give up three runs, all of which were earned. Two of those were home runs, so that was a little bit of an issue, but the Marlins do seem to be doing a little bit of a better job with that as well, as Sterling Castro was able to get a home run off of Jalen Beeks, his ninth of the year, but needless to say, things were overwhelming out there in the state of Florida. Things have been underwhelming in Wrigley Field whenever the Milwaukee Brewers and Chicago Cubs do battle as the Cubs wind up getting a 4-1 win. Cubs now 38-18 at home on the year and 10 out of the last 11 games in which the Brewers and Cubs have played in Wrigley Field have went under and 8 out of the 11 games this year that these two teams have played have went under that courtesy of our buddy Mikey Picks who joined the podcast last week. And for the Cubs, they were able to get a big hit in this one in the 7th inning. Albert Amora Jr. winds up getting a 2-run home run. That was his 12th of the year. As for the Milwaukee Brewers, they Got a decent start out of Gio Gonzalez. He just didn't provide any length. Four and a third innings. He gives up one run, and that takes a bullpen of the Milwaukee Brewers that has been used so heavily recently as they had to go three and two-thirds innings. They gave up three runs, all of which were earned, including that home run. And for the Milwaukee Brewers, just nothing doing on offense right now as they were able to get eight hits, but they went one of seven with men in scoring position. And for the Chicago Cubs, Cole Hamels, in his first start off the entered list, looked pretty sharp. Didn't give as much length as... He typically would. He only went 74 pitches just in probably a rehab sort of way, but he went five innings, giving up four hits, no earned runs, and then the bullpen of the Chicago Cubs, which has a bunch of new acquisitions, including Derek Cohen from the San Francisco Giants and David Phillips coming over from the Toronto Blue Jays. They go and combine four innings, giving up just one run. So needless to say, the Chicago Cubs were able to take full advantage of their acquisitions. The New York Mets had their big acquisition on display, and he didn't necessarily live up to the hype, but the team was still able to get a 7-5 win over the Pittsburgh Pirates. For the Pittsburgh Pirates, he did have something encouraging in that Chris Archer did not give a piece of poop start. He gave the team six innings. He gave up one run in the process, but how about the bullpen of the team? They wind up going and combine three innings. They give up six runs, all of which were earned, including two home runs. Launching those home runs for the Mets was... Wilson Ramos is 11th of the year. Jeff McNeil is 12th as Ramos had a 6-RBI game in this one. And for the New York Mets, I mentioned it with Marcus Stroman. Four to third innings, he gives up three runs, all of which were earned. But the Mets bullpen has actually been one of the top eight units ever since the All-Star break with regards to ERA. Not necessarily bad in this one. Wasn't great, but they go four two-thirds innings. They give up two runs. Of course, it was Edwin Diaz that gave up those two runs, but once again, a solid performance. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, the overs in Pittsburgh have been hitting at a clip 
up of right around 67 or so percent as this one also goes over as they were able to get a big hit in this one. Sterling Marte gets his 28th home run of the year. That was, of course, off of Edwin Diaz, who has been not necessarily living up to the hype, but the New York Mets all of a sudden very hot ever since the All-Star break. The Toronto Blue Jays entered into Saturday, winners of five of their last six, but they wind up getting cooled down by the Baltimore Orioles by a count of six to four. Thomas Pannone wound up giving the team six innings. Wasn't necessarily his best start, but he gave up four runs, all of which were earned in the process, and he was taken deep twice. Trey Bumbo Mantini, his 26th home run of the year, and Jonathan Villar, his 14th. Dylan Bundy, it's just so hard to gauge what to make out of him because in this one, he goes five and a third innings, gives up two runs, including a home run. And then the bullpen of the Baltimore Orioles wasn't necessarily too bad. They gave up two runs in three and two-thirds innings, including a home run. Going deep for the Toronto Blue Jays, Freddie Galvis is 18th of the year. And then it was the first career home run for catcher Reese McGuire for the Toronto Blue Jays as well. So a little bit of a good sign there. The Cleveland Indians continue to have the best record out there in the big leagues ever since the beginning of the month of June as they get a 72 win over the LA Angels. And for the Cleveland Indians, they got a trio of home runs in this one. Jason Kipnis and Carlos Santana were able to both go deep. Carlos Santana is 24th of the year. Jason Kipnis is 10th. He and Francisco Lindor, and Lindor is 19th of the year, both went deep twice in the fifth inning as a five spot in the fifth was able to put the Cleveland Indians on top for good. As Adam Pluko, a very good start for the Cleveland Indians. Five and a third innings, gives up one run. That one run was earned. And then you had the bullpen of the Cleveland Indians, which has had the best ERA out there in the big leagues, go three and two-thirds innings. They give up one run, but that was an underrun. run. They were hurt by Jose Ramirez's error. So, obviously, a very good showing for the Cleveland Indians. Meanwhile, for the LA Angels, it was the wholesale approach in this one as Felix Pena Wound up recording the first five outs of the game, and then he turned it over to Trevor Kale, and Trevor Kale was not able to do the best of jobs. He gave up three runs in two and two-thirds innings. You also had Justin Anderson give up two runs. He recorded two outs in the process. It was just one of those things where the Angels had a little bit of everyone pitching, and it wasn't necessarily going well. And for the offense, they just were not able to get anything generated in this one, despite having nine hits. They just weren't able to drive them around. So the Angels look to be very, very cold, as they have now lost seven of their last nine, with five of those losses coming against the Detroit Tigers and the Baltimore Orioles. The Kansas City Royals appear to be going a little bit cold as well as they have now lost five straight games, losing to the Minnesota Twins by a count of 11-3. For the Twins, it was another big performance from Nelson Cruz. For the second time in the last three weeks, he has a three-home run game. His 28th, 29th, and 30th of the campaign. CJ Crone is off the injured list. He goes deep for his 19th home run of the year. I said in touch them all that he had 17 home runs, so my apologies about that. I undersold him, but Jorge Polanco now is his 17th home run of the year. He went deep off of Danny Duffy. As Danny Duffy had been pitching a little bit better recently, in this one, it didn't go as planned. Four and two-thirds innings, he gave up nine runs, eight of which were earned. And then Jorge Lopez had to come in out of the bullpen. He goes three and a third innings, giving up two runs in the process. For the Kansas City Royals, one encouraging mark. Jorge Soler gets his 29th home run of the year. That was nice as for the Minnesota Twins. Kyle Gibson winds up giving a good start. Six and two-thirds innings. He gives up three runs, but only two of which were earned. He continues to be a very profitable pitcher as he and Jake Odorizzi, despite the fact that their ERAs are both above four, are among the top 20 pitchers in regards to money made on Odd Shark if you bet $100 on them in every one of their starts. And the Minnesota Twins, who have a bottom five bullpen in regards to ERA ever since the All-Star break, they wind up getting a combined two and third innings, they wind up not giving up a single run. So, a little bit of a high mark there. The high mark of the day, though, really had to be the Houston Astros. Not only do they shut out the Seattle Mariners by a count of 9-0, they get a combined no-hitter as Aron Sanchez 
has now given three straight good starts after going on a streak of 11 straight starts in which he got a loss. In this one, he was absolutely magnificent. He had two walks, no giving up hits, and then the bullpen was able to certainly do their job. And for the Seattle Mariners, this is the second time in less than 30 days that they've been the victims of a no-hitter in which it was a combined no-hitter. That has to be the first time in baseball history that that's happened. I've done no research on it, but I can confidently say that. And for the Houston Astros, they were able to get a home run off the bat of Jose Altuve, his 18th of the year. It was mentioned in the podcast yesterday by Sean Zabrillo how good the Houston Astros are at raking lefties. And Marco Gonzalez in this one, certainly not a great start. He gave up that home run. He goes five innings, giving up four runs, all of which were earned. And then the bullpen winds up going and combined three innings. They give up three runs as all those were given up by one Garrison Batista, who now has an 11 ERA. And obviously for the Seattle Mariners, well, things did not go as planned with the bats. We'll just leave it at that. Things did not go as planned for the Cincinnati Reds in the first start of Trevor Bauer, as well as the Atlanta Braves get a 5-4 win in 10 innings in this one. Trevor Bauer just not long for this game. Four and two-thirds innings. He gives up three runs, all of which were earned. The bullpen of the Cincinnati Reds, which has been absolutely anemic. Both these teams have been in the bottom 10 in regards to bullpen ERA ever since the All-Star break. It was actually pretty good for the Reds, though. They go a combined five innings. They give up two runs, both of which were earned in the process. So they looked a little bit better there. And then they were able to get a little bit of unexpected production as Getting his first career home run, and I hope I am saying this correctly, is Arcides Aquino. So that was nice for the young outfielder for the Cincinnati Reds, but for the Atlanta Braves, Dallas Keuchel delivered a pretty good start. He did give up that home run, but he went seven innings, giving up three runs, all of which were earned. Mark Melanson and Shane Green came out of the bullpen, and Shane Green, who had been so reliable for the Detroit Tigers, had his first blown save as an Atlanta Brave, so... Obviously, that was a little bit of an issue, but Luke Jackson, the natural closer for the Atlanta Braves before all the deals, he was able to close things out. And the Atlanta Braves, by the way, left 12 men on base. So this certainly could have been a little bit worse for the Cincinnati Reds. Things could have been also worse for the Texas Rangers, but they were able to pull out a 5-4 extra inning win over the Detroit Tigers. For the Tigers, Matthew Boyd, for his third straight start, winds up giving up three or fewer earned runs. I believe in his eight starts previous, he had given up at least three in each of them as he goes five and two-thirds innings, giving up two runs, both of which were earned, and he did give up a home run in the process for the Texas Rangers. Going deep in the fourth inning, Willie Calhoun is eighth of the year, and then the walk-off winner was Rudnad Odor. That was his his 20th of the campaign that came off of Nick Ramirez as the Detroit Tigers were a little bit victims of bad luck as that home run that Ramirez gave up the only earned run that the bullpen gave up they want to combine four innings they did give up three runs but the two that Buck Farmer gave up were as a result of an error this is a Detroit Tigers team that has just been sloppy all year long but on a little bit of a brighter note you did have Miguel Cabrera get a home run in the first inning, his seventh home run of the year. That came off of Adrian Sampson, who just has not been good for the Texas Rangers recently. Ever since the month of June, I think that his ERA is north of seven. Four and two-thirds innings, he gives up four runs, all of which were earned. But how about the bullpen of the Texas Rangers? Five and a third innings, they give up just one hit. This was a Texas Rangers bullpen that, for the year, has been one of the worst out there in the big leagues, but they seem to be certainly putting things together. A team that is certainly putting things together is the San Francisco Giants, though. They are now 26-24 and as an underdog straight up. So if you take them straight up as an underdog, you have a winning record, and you're getting all those plus 
prices as they take down the Colorado Rockies by kind of 6-5. And it should also be noted, each of the last five games at Coors Field have won under. So perhaps the Coors Field unders have returned, and the Giants got this win despite the fact that Madison Bumgarner was not sharp in this one. Five innings pitch, he gives up five runs, all of which were earned. Now the Giants did have to evade some danger with Tony Watson and Will Smith both giving up two hits, but the bullpen goes four innings. They do not give up a single run. They have the best bullpen ERA of any team in the National League. The only team with a better overall ERA out there in the bullpen is the Cleveland Indians. And for the San Francisco Giants, they got some offense from one of their big acquisitions at the deadline. Scooter Jeanette goes yard. His first home run as a San Francisco Giant. And I think his first home run of the year as the Giants wound up leaving 13 men on base. So they certainly had more opportunities. And the Colorado Rockies were 0 for 8 with men in scoring position. So it evened out. And John Gray, also not the start that they expected out of the Colorado Rockies. Four innings pitch. He gives up four runs, all of which were earned. And then the bullpen of the Rockies was actually pretty good. They go a combined five innings. Cesar Estevez winds up giving up two runs. But all in all, when you get five innings and you give up two runs out there in the bullpen at Coors Field, you really can't complain about it. So just a couple missed opportunities out there for the Colorado Rockies. Meanwhile, with the San Francisco Giants, after having lost three out of their last four, they look to be getting back online. The Arizona Diamondbacks bats were certainly online. They take down the Washington Nationals by a count of eight. 15-4. As for the Arizona Diamondbacks, a team that was averaging less than a home run per game at home this year. They were in the bottom seven with regards to home runs per game at home. Well, they certainly rectified that as Eduardo Escobar goes deep twice. His 23rd and 24th of the year. Alex Avila, his 7th of the campaign. Nick Ahmad, his 11th. And Jake Lamb, his 4th. And that was all in support of Robbie Ray, who wasn't necessarily sharp in this one. Five innings pitch, he gives up four runs. And then you have the bullpen of Zach Godley, the ungodly bad once again. He goes two and two-thirds innings. He gives up three runs, including a home run. But all in all, when you get 18 runs of support, it's really hard to blow that. And for the Washington Nationals, they were able to get a home run off of Zach ungodly bad from the bat of Anthony Rendon, his 24th of the year, but Steven Strasburg, who was absolutely magnificent in the month of July, wound up giving up, I believe, four more earned runs in this start than he had in the whole month of July. Four and two-thirds innings, he gives up nine runs, all of which were earned. Matt Grace gave up a run on the bullpen. Tanner Rainey gives up a run on the bullpen. And then they had Gerardo Parra pitch in the ninth inning. He winds up dishing out four walks, five runs, all of which were earned. He was actually throwing 90, by the way. Gerardo Parra, position player, was throwing, I think his top pitch was 92 miles an hour, but then Brian Dorcher had to bail him out. He gave up two runs in the process. That's why you had such a weird score as the Arizona Diamondbacks were able to get a touchdown in the eighth inning, and the Washington Nationals responded with a field goal in the ninth. That was something that you don't see very often. You do see this very often, though. The L.A. Dodgers being able to get a win at home as they take down the San Diego Padres by a count of 4-1. The L.A. Dodgers at home this year, 42-15 and as they were able to get another tremendous start out of Walker Beeler. Walker Beeler, a complete game that involved 15 strikeouts. He gave up one run in the process. That was a solo home run. Being able to provide that was Manuel Margot, his seventh of the year. And Cal Quantrill on the other side wasn't necessarily bad. He was just let down by his fielding as he goes five innings. He gives up four runs, but only two of which were earned. And the San Diego Padres, who do have a better fielding independent with their bullpen than an actual ERA. They go a combined three innings. They give up one hit, no earned runs, so nothing doing there, but it's just all about Walker Buehler in this one and how spectacular he was. As for the LA Dodgers, they also did get a deep ball themselves. Justin Turner down for what? 
his 17th of the year, as he appears to be getting very hot. And this game is currently in the top of the ninth inning, but I think I could confidently say the Oakland A's are going to be winners in this one, unless if something really, really bad happens, in which I'll be making an edit and you'll never hear about it anyway. Oakland A's currently up by a count of 8-2 to two going into the ninth inning, and for the Oakland A's, they were able to get a nice home run off the bat of Chad Binder, his 10th of the year. Mike Fires once again with straight fires. This man has given up three earned runs or fewer in every one of his starts since the beginning of May, so he was able to do his job, and just as I'm doing this podcast, it is now 8-3 to as the St. Louis Cardinals were able to get a home run off the bat of Thomas, his second home run of the year, so good on them, but they needed a little bit more earlier as we go to Hudson. Winds up not being able to make it out of the fourth inning. He gives up four runs, three of which were earned, had five walks. His walks issue has really popped up, and it feels like regression has set in for him. And then the St. Louis Cardinals, who have a bullpen ERA that ranks in the top five in the big leagues for the year and has been just absolutely magnificent as of late. They wind up going a combined four and a third innings, giving up four runs, all of which were earned. So needless to say, that was not ideal. They've also went one of eight with men in scoring position. And for the Oakland A's, this is a team that has really been getting the job done at home this year, posting a mark of 36 and 23. So what did we all learn from Major League Baseball on this wonderful Saturday? The New York Yankees continue to have a bunch of good bullpen pieces that you can trust. Chris Sale, you cannot trust. According to our friends at Odd Truck, if you bet $100 on every one of his starts, you're down over $1,100. So... That was not good. The Chicago Cubs continue to win at home, and the Brewers and Cubs continue to play unders at Wrigley Field. The Tampa Bay Rays are right now on a nice binge of overs. The White Sox and the Phillies just cannot get any offense going to save their lives. Chris Archer gave a nice start, but the overs continue to flow in in Pittsburgh, and the New York Mets continue to be a little bit hot. The Toronto Blue Jays were hot going into their game on Saturday against the Baltimore Orioles, but Dylan Bundy just continues to be a massive mystery. The Cleveland Indians continue to get very good bullpen pitching, and it looks like the offense has really come alive for this team. The Minnesota Twins just continue to rake at home. Meanwhile, the Kansas City Royals are continuing their slide. The Seattle Mariners are once again the victims of a combined no-hitter, but it looks like the Houston Astros have a very bright future with their great lineup, and now with some acquired pieces at the deadline for their pitching staff. The Atlanta Braves still are having a little bit of an issue with the bullpen, but it looks like Trevor Bauer, a change of scenery, was not what he needed because he is still giving some very inconsistent starts. The Texas Rangers continue to be very profitable at home. They're now 34-22 and 22 at home and 17-13 and 13 as home underdogs, so you do want to note that. The San Francisco Giants continue to cash tickets as an underdog, and the Coors Field Unders appear to have returned. The LA Dodgers continue to steamroll at home, as do the Oakland A's. So that is what we all learned out there in Major League Baseball on Saturday. Now let's take a look at just how impressive the Houston Astros are, just how good they can be, and whether or not they're the World Series favorites, along with some teams that might be creeping into the playoff picture. We're going to discuss all that and more with Jake Hasman of SB Nation Radio. Up next, right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg is going to the bullpen as he makes a call to the Azunia Hotline. And we are back here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson coming at you from the Azunia Tequila Studios out here in lovely Las Vegas. It is great to have on our next guest. He has joined us a couple times, but now he is in prime time on SB Nation Radios. He is the co-host of the main event with Cody Stutes. That is on from 4 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time. 
1 to 5 p.m. Pacific time every Monday through Friday out there on SB Nation Radio. This is also a gentleman that does some hosting and reporting for ESPN 97.5 out there in the lovely city of Houston. And we all know that there is a lot going down in the city of Houston, not just with Texas training camp, but also with the Astros as they were very busy at the trade deadline. And in my opinion, they right now look like the best team in baseball. And you can follow this fine man that is joining me on Twitter at Jake Asman. And Jake, how are you doing today? Great. Thanks for having me on the program again, my friend. Congrats to you on all what you got coming up, man. Excited to see the news about your show and everything going on. And it's always great to be with you. So thanks for having me. Well, I saw that you were getting a new show, and I thought, you know what? I can't let Jake be in the spotlight for too long. I've got to hug it all for myself as well. So yeah, you, you inspired me. I think inspiring all of us right now is Houston Astros as they make some big moves. We saw Aron Sanchez make his first start with the Houston Astros yesterday, and Zach Greinke is going to be making his first start very soon as well. The Houston Astros did wind up giving away a couple pieces as well. Tony Kemp and Tyler White, two guys who are hitting below a two thirty five wound up getting moved during the trade deadline. But all in all, what did you think of the moves that the Houston Astros were able to make the past few weeks? You know, I thought they did what a team that's on the cusp of winning another title should do. You know, and unlike the Yankees, who stood pad and really cornered themselves by not addressing the pitching needs either this past offseason or, you know, not signing Dallas Keuchel, so on and so forth, the Astros went for the jugular. You know, they weren't settled. They, they Right now, before the Granky move, might have been the best team in the American League. But after the Granky move, I don't know how you say they're not. You look at their one, two, and three of Verlander, Cole, Granky, and the fact that Wade Miley, who maybe not a lot of people realize just how good he's been, Wade Miley's ERA is in the low threes. And in 22 of his last 24 starts, he's allowed three runs or less. He's been really good for a long time for them this year. To have him as your number four, it's just absurd. So you look at what the Astros have with their lineup and what they have at the back end of that bullpen with Ryan Presley and their closer, Osuna, to add Granky to it, to me, makes them the prohibitive favorites to win the American League and probably win the World Series as well. Absolutely, and they've got one of the best aces out there in baseball, and he's going to be making his start on Sunday. Justin Verlander goes for the Houston Astros. It looks like the Seattle Mariners are taking their wholesale approach as Matt Whistler going to be the opener for the Seattle Mariners. This is just a Houston Astros team that, with Justin Verlander, with Garrett Cole, with Zach Granke, You've got three of the five qualified starting pitchers with a whip below one. I know that Justin Verlander has had his home run issues. I don't know why it is that he's given up 28 home runs so far this year, but past that, he has been absolutely magnificent, not allowing pretty much anyone to get on base unless if they take the ball out of the yard. It's been absolutely insane watching him perform this year. Absolutely. I I mean, Justin Verlander is a guy that seems to be getting better with age, and it's just been absurd to watch him here in Houston. And he starts the All-Star game. Last year, he nearly went to Cy Young. The year before, they acquire him at the August 31st waiver deadline, and the rest is history. He's just been great since he's been here. You know, to think he's been as good as he's been, and the Astros have made him better. Cole comes over here, and people forget Garrett Cole when the Astros got him was coming off a bad year. He had an ERA in the mid-fours, and the Astros acquire him, and now for the second year in a row, he's been unbelievable, been an all-star pitcher for them. And, you know, obviously you add Granke via the trade. So Jeff Luno, the GM of this team, has done such a good job setting up his rotation all through trades, and they never had to give up their best prospect, an outfield prospect they love in Kyle Tucker, to make any of these deals, which to me is one of the more impressive things that Luno has done in his tenure. But, you know, Verlander, you mentioned the home runs he's given up. If you look at recent starts, He hasn't given up nearly as much home runs as he had early on, so he's getting better there. But even with the home runs he's allowed, he's still been so good ERA-wise. And he's arguably the best pitcher in the American League this year. It's just been unbelievable to watch. 
he has been absolutely terrific. And I think that Garrett Cole might actually be pushing him for that AL Cy Young as well as we have Jake Asman joining me right here on the podcast. And it wasn't just the Houston Astros making moves, though. The Oakland A's acquired Homer Bailey a few weeks lot a few weeks back. They also now have Tanner Roark, so they were obviously able to bolster their rotation a little bit. You take a look at the Atlanta Braves and Milwaukee Brewers and so many National League teams, they were able to get in some bullpen pieces. Who is the team outside the Houston Astros that you felt like really benefited themselves the most, aside from also the Cleveland Indians? Because I felt like the Cleveland Indians just wrecked shop with that Trevor Bauer trade. Trevor Bauer had been highly inconsistent. You bring in Yasiel Puig. You bring in Famio Reyes. I have absolutely no idea what the San Diego Padres were thinking with that move. But past those teams, who do you think was the big winners of the trade deadline? I loved what the Atlanta Braves did. You know, to me, they're the second best team in the National League right now. And I know all the talks about the Dodgers, but, you know, to get Shane Green, who's pitching to an ERA in the low ones, he's a legitimate stud pitcher this year. So to solidify him in your back end of the bullpen, I thought was a huge move by Atlanta. To also get Mark Melanson, who maybe, you know, getting the chance to pitch in a playoff race, that's somebody that could really help them. I mean, they added a ton of relievers, and I just think they went for it. They were aggressive. They know they have a good rotation. They added Keuchel midseason to help improve that starting rotation. So to solidify the back end of that bullpen like the way they did, I thought they did a tremendous job. And they'd be my team that, quote-unquote, won the deadline if Houston didn't make, obviously, the big splash for Greggy. I do agree with you, and I do think that it's going to be so interesting to see what happens in that AL wild card as well because the Boston Red Sox, aside from getting Andrew Kashner, they wound up standing pat. The Oakland A's really were able to go out there. They were able to bolster themselves. And the Minnesota Twins, they made a couple moves for the bullpen, but I wasn't crazy about what they did. And I think that the Cleveland Indians might have a chance to be able to overtake them because we noticed with the Cleveland Indians, even before they made their moves, their offense was really starting to fire on L cylinders. Now you add in their Yasiel Puig and Famiel Reyes. This is a team that can really mash. Yeah, and the Indians have the best record in baseball since, like, mid-June, Greg. So, I mean, they've been great. And, you know, it looked like early on they were going to be sellers. And, you know, they kind of were because they traded Bauer. But to get the prospects they got back for him and obviously to still improve a major need, which was their offense, and get Yasiel Puig on a contract year, having a great season, trying to prove that he can get a big money deal. I think Matt Chernoff, their GM, did an incredible job with that Bauer deal. They were going to move him. They don't want to pay him. They're banking on Kluber coming back from injury. They're banking on some of the other guys in that rotation continuing to pitch well. A guy like Shane Bieber, who is, you know, your all-star game MVP. They're banking on those guys to continue to either be as good as they've been or guys to come back from injury and step in. But I think you look at what they did, and they kind of towed that line really well, of being a buyer and a seller, and I think it works for them. I agree with you there, as we do have our man Jake Asman joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Does terrific work out there for SB Nation Radio and also ESPN 97.5 in the fine city of Houston. And he is joining me right now. And I know that you're a big Yankees fan. The Yankees and the Red Sox obviously have a very pivotal series. What do you think about what the Yankees all did? Because the Yankees, I would say, just really stood pat. They really didn't make any moves that were really earth-shattering and anything like that. But we also know with the Yankees, they have been banged up all year long. DJ LeMahieu and Brett Gardner were injured the past few weeks. They just recently came back on Friday in the start of their series against Boston Red Sox. And I felt like the Yankees really didn't have to make too many moves because they just knew that they're just going to be continuing to get back pieces throughout the season. No question. I'm disappointed that they didn't make a move at some point during this year to solidify the starting rotation. Because at the trading deadline, they were never going to get Zach Greinke. He has a no trade. He has anxiety issues. It wouldn't work in New York. So you knew that wasn't happening. Trevor Bauer in New York, not a good fit. That was never going to happen. 
But Stroman going to the Mets really put a wrench in the Yankees' plans because that would have been a perfect guy for them to acquire. You get him, he's under team control for another year. He's from Long Island. Would have been a great fit. Instead, the Mets get him. You're obviously not going to be able to make a trade with the Mets for Noah Syndergaard because the Yankees and Mets, they never make deals together. So the Yankees kind of cornered themselves where the Diamondbacks had the audacity to ask for Clint Frazier and three prospects for Robbie Ray, which Robbie Ray at best is a number three starter. You're not giving up Clint Frazier and three other prospects to get him. So Cashman was kind of cornered. And the criticism of Cashman to me could be for, you know, not giving the extra years to get Patrick Corbin and choosing to resign Jay Happ over him, or, you know, not giving the extra million and a half to beat the Atlanta Braves offer to sign Dallas Keuchel. So the Yankees standing pat is not crazy when you think of the amount of injuries they've had. And you look at their record, they have the best record in the American League. But the fact that there were other opportunities leading up to the deadline for them to improve that starting rotation, and they did it. I think that's a fair criticism. But listen, they're going to be banking on their trade deadline acquisitions being a healthy John Carlos Stanton, who's only played in nine games this year and only has one home run this year, right? They're going to be banking on the return of Luis Severino and Dellen Batances, their best starter and their best reliever. They haven't thrown a pitch all season, yet here they are. So they need those guys to come back and be great. Gary Sanchez coming back from injury. They need him. Luke Voigt coming back from injury in September off the hernia surgery. They need him. They need all the guys that are hurt to come back, play well, and they're going to have to try and mash their way to a World Series. And obviously, that bullpen, you might see them use the opener because they got so many arms, and they're going to be relying on those guys to be shut down. It's going to be very interesting to see how that all plays out for the New York Yankees. But now let me take the spotlight as we have to talk about my Milwaukee Brewers, and I am very disappointed of what this team did. I felt like they gave up way too much for Drew Pomerantz, they wound up getting Jacob Feria from the Tampa Bay Rays. They sold off Jesus Aguiar, who, let's face it, he has been a hot mess all year long. But with the Milwaukee Brewers, I feel like this is a team that is not going to be able to make the playoffs, in my opinion, because this is a team that on Sunday is going to be trotting out there Adrian Hauser as a starter. He's been great as a reliever. As a starter, he's been absolutely awful. Drew Pomerantz, I don't know what he's going to be able to give them. On Friday, he wound up pitching an inning in relief. Perhaps you can use him as a starter, but he's been a hot mess as a starter. I think the Milwaukee Brewers needed to get arms in the worst way possible. They got a couple of them, but I just don't think that Jordan Lyles is something that you can really ride to the playoffs. The Brewers are interesting, right? Because I look at that division, and with the Cardinals playing as well as they have, it's amazing kind of where we are, where it just looked like it was going to be the Cubs and Milwaukee all year, and then you had you know, some of the other teams in the Central be in it for a bit, and then... You're starting to kind of see the separation with the St. Louis Cardinals with what they've been able to do. I still think Milwaukee's going to be there to the end. The Cubs are going to be right there. That division to me is so fascinating because I think each of those teams, you could argue, should probably be a lot better than what the record indicates. I look at the Cubs and I see their record, Greg, and I I think they should be better than what they are. And I don't blame Joe Madden, but he's on the hot seat for a reason. And I think, you know, if this doesn't go well for the Cubs where they don't make the playoffs, that could cost Joe Madden his job, believe it or not. So, that division to me is just fascinating because I think you have teams that are in it that are pretty good and maybe haven't lived up to the talent on that roster should be a lot better. No, not at all. And do you think that there's any chance that we could see any of these teams on the outside looking in of the NL playoff picture, being able to perhaps make a run? Because we are mentioning Marcus Stroman. He is in the fold for the New York Mets. They're obviously quite a few games out of the wild card, but they've been playing some good baseball ever since the All-Star break. The San Francisco Giants, they actually wound up selling a little bit, but you take a look at what they've been doing. They still have Madison Bumgarner. They still have guys like Will Smith at the back end of the bullpen as well. A lot of their guys out there in AAA were doing a great job as well. 
What do you make out of the NL playoff picture? Because I think it's still just very much a jumbled up mess. I think whoever doesn't win the NL Central between the Chicago Cubs and the St. Louis Cardinals certainly going to be vying for a playoff spot. And then I even think the Arizona Diamondbacks, even though they saw Zach Greinke, they do bring in Zach Gallen, and they still might be contenders out there as well. You said it best, Greg. It's a jumbled up mess. I couldn't tell you. You know, I think it's whoever just gets hot at the right time, as cliche as that sounds. This has been so up and down all year. You know, I do think Washington is going to make the playoffs stuff. I had to pick one team I'm confident is going to make the playoffs. It's going to be the Washington Nationals. They had an abysmal start, but they got out there and they improved their bullpen. The guys they had are on that roster as well have also started to pitch a lot better, which is huge. And you know, you're going to get Scherzer back from injury. If he can come in and dominate to have him every fifth day, plus Strasburg, plus Corbin, they get in. They're certainly dangerous because of their rotation, but I think they're going to get in. You know, I don't feel good about any of these teams. I don't even feel great with my pick on the Nationals, but I have a weird feeling the Nationals are going to be one of the two wild cards in the National League. Oh, I do agree with you. I think that I was making a massive oversight with the Washington Nationals because with the Nationals, you have something else that nobody else can trot out there. Now, this is a big if. You need Max Scherzer to be healthy off of his back injury, as we do have Jake Asman of SB Nation joining me right here on the podcast. But if you do have a healthy Max Scherzer, and then you're able to pair him up with Patrick Corbin and Steven Strasburg. Steven Strasburg was absolutely dynamic out there in July. The Washington Nationals revamped that bullpen a little bit, and I will say, ever since the beginning of the month of June, bullpen has looked a little bit bigger, has has looked a little bit better. You have a very, very lethal team with guys like Anthony Rendon and Juan Soto who are starting to match in that middle of the lineup. No, you're absolutely right. It's a good team. It's going to be interesting to stretch here because with so many teams in the mix and no August 31st waiver wire transactions, uh, this is it. Like the teams are the teams, and now it's just about who gets hot and who can stay healthy, kind of win that war of attrition down the stretch. You know, I thought the trading deadline, you know, it had some big excitement, obviously, but you saw a lot of teams that were on the fringe choose to be either stay pat or to be buyers unexpectedly, a la the Mets with Stroman and not trade Syndergaard or Wheeler. So, you look at that National League wild card, you even look at the American League wild card, it's jumbled up, and I think that's the top storyline to watch in baseball here down the stretch. I do agree with you there, and with regards to this playoff picture in general, I do think that we are going to have some impact from some younger players. I think that the, the reason why the Cleveland Indians were willing to trade off Trevor Bauer is the fact that Shane Bieber's been able to step up with your Houston Astros. Jordan Alvarez has really been able to make a massive contribution Who's another young guy or two that you think could really play into a playoff race? Because I think that we all remember so famously several years ago, David Price being the number one overall pick, pitching out of the bullpen of the Tampa Bay Rays. He was able to help propel them to a World Series. Who's a guy or two that you think is a little bit off the beaten path that could really be a difference maker? That's interesting. I have to really look at the top prospects, kind of see where they are and see if any of them are going to be called up. As someone who knows the Astros well and is a Yankee fan. I can give you someone of the Yankees I think could actually surprise people. Delvey Garcia is in AAA. He's their top pitching prospect. Cashman, Brian Cashman, their GM, refused to even put his name in any trade talks. He started the Futures game this past summer in Cleveland. He's really good. He's young, but he really has risen through the ranks very quickly. I mentioned he's at AAA. I think part of the reason why the Yankees didn't make a move is because obviously they're depending on Severino coming back, Dylan Batantis coming back, but I also think there's a chance where they look at Delby Garcia and maybe he's someone that could be a weapon out of that bullpen with his electric stuff. So I had to look further into other teams' top prospects, but as a Yankee fan, I can tell you Delby Garcia. He is one of the top prospects out there according to MLB Pipeline as well. I wholeheartedly agree with you. And I wholeheartedly feel that you are doing tremendous work out there at SB Nation Radio. You and Cody are running a terrific show. I've tuned in a couple times the past few weeks. 
It's a new show, but it's a terrific one. Jake, I'd like to close up with this. Where can the good people get a little bit more of your show that airs from 4 to 8 p.m. Eastern, 1 to 4, 1 to 5 p.m. Pacific? And where can they find you on social media and elsewhere, since I know that you're a man that's doing a lot of tremendous work? Ah, I appreciate it, my friend. So the show, as you said, 4 to 8 Eastern, SB Nation Radio. Just go to SBNationRadio.com or download the SB Nation Radio app. You might be listening to this podcast right now and be in a market that actually carries SB Nation Radio on terrestrial radio. So if that's the case, certainly thank you there. Check, of course, your local radio listings if you are in a market with an affiliate. But, of course, the website, the app, and I'm on Twitter, at Jake Asman. You can tweet me, Jake, A-S-M-A-N. Love to interact with anyone. Thanks for the opportunity, Greg. And thank you for using the term, check your local listings, because I always love it when I hear that. So the fact that we got that into this podcast makes me a very <laughs> happy man, and I'm always happy whenever Jake Asman of SB Nation Radio joins me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. So a big thanks to him. And coming up next, it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board. And we do so in a little something I like to call Touch Em All. Hey, I'm Steve Heitner, the guy who uttered the famous phrase, that's gold. And that's the inspiration of my new podcast, That's Gold with Steve Heitner. We talk sports, sports betting, movies, comedy, food, drink, Vegas, music, movies, and more. Five days a week. Did I say movies twice? Look, guys love it, whether they're hip or worried about breaking a hip. Find us on Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify and Stitcher. That's gold with me, Steve Heitner. Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem, so yeah, he better not blow it. Of SB Nation Radio for joining me in the last segment as we're back here in the Zunitiku Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. Now it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on Sunday's Las Vegas Betting card, and we do so in a little something I like to call Touch Em All. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Note that any changes that are made to these plays going to be listed up on my Twitter feed at GNRSquare81. With some of these plays there, are all locked in, good to go, bet on, everything like that. With some of these plays, we're in a little bit of wait and see mode. We're waiting on some lineup changes. We're waiting on line moves. In some cases, these games are off the board, so... Cannot have a play on a game until it's actually listed. So there's a little bit of this, a little bit of that. That is all going to be noted. I'm going to be keeping you guys informed on that as we go along. And as per usual, we're going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. And that starts with 9:51, 9:52 on the bank rotation. The Atlanta Braves play also the Cincinnati Reds. Sonny Gray goes for the Reds. Julio Tedon goes for the Atlanta Braves. Your total on this game is 9. The under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 125. The over is anywhere between minus 110 and plus 105. If you're looking at the Reds, going to be laying anywhere between minus 104 and minus 110. Meanwhile, if you like the Braves, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 105 and minus 106. This is a spot where I really do like the way that Tedon has been pitching. Has been absolutely sensational ever since the beginning of May. 14 out of his 16 starts, he's given up two runs or fewer. Meanwhile, Sonny Gray, he has been very good himself. You take a look at the Reds over his last 14 starts. They are 11-3 and in that time span. Opponents are hitting right around 200 off of them. This is a gentleman that's giving up one home run per nine innings. Done a very good job of being able to limit walks as well. Tehran has had a little bit of an issue with the walks, but his team is 12-4 and in his last 16 starts as well. And with the Atlanta Braves, they back him up with a little bit of a better lineup. With the Cincinnati Reds, you certainly do have a couple guys that are starting to pick it up. 
got a lot of guys hitting in that neighborhood between about a 255 to a 265, including Jesse Winker, Joey Votto, and Eugenio Suarez. And in the case of Mr. Suarez, he does have 29 home runs so far this year. You also have Josh Van Meter and Philip Irvin stepping up out there in the outfield. Both these guys hitting above a 300. Nick Senzel hitting a 285. You do have a couple guys that they really do need to pick up their average. Jose Peraza sitting right around a 240. Tucker Barnard, a 210. And then Aquino, their new outfielder, has been hitting well below the Minos line, which is a 200. Meanwhile, with the Atlanta Braves, you got a lot of guys that are doing a great job of getting on base. Brian McCann, Ozzy Albies, Ronald Cunha Jr., all these guys hitting above a 275. And in the case of Cunha Jr. and Ozzy Albies, more around to 290. And with Acuna Jr., 25 home runs for him. Josh Donaldson has 25 home runs. He's hitting a 255. Freddie Freeman has won team 26 times. He's hitting above a 300. Adam Duvall, since coming up from the AAA level, hitting right around a 400. Ender, Enciarte, and Johan Camargo have come off the injured list, and though their batting average for the year right around at 230, they've been providing a lot ever since they got back in the lineup as well. And then you've got Austin Riley, a guy that has 16 home runs as well. With the Atlanta Braves and Reds, they both have been having some bullpen issues recently. Both these teams have been in the bottom 10 in the big leagues in regards to bullpen ERA ever since the all-star break. But for the year, they're both in the top half with regards to their bullpen, and I do think that that's going to be able to turn itself around. So I do think that we're going to get a little bit of a lower-scoring game, but I do think the Braves prevail here. So for that reason, going to be riding with the Bravos and the total under. I noticed that a lot of steam has come in on both the over and the red. So I'm in waiting see mode on both of these, trying to get a little bit of better numbers there. 953, 954 on the bank rotation. The Pittsburgh Pirates are going to be playing host to the New York Mets. Noah Thor Syndergaard goes for the Mets. Meanwhile, Joe Musgrove for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Your total on this game is 8.5. The over is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. The under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. If you're looking at the Mets, going to be laying anywhere between minus 128 and minus 133. Your plus price with the Buckos is anywhere between plus 115 and plus 123. And these are two of the more unpredictable pitchers out there. With Joe Musgrove, this is a man that towards the middle of May and into early June really struggled. Then he had a couple good starts. Then he had a couple bad starts. It's one of those things where it's good that he's been giving up right around only 1.2 home runs per nine innings. Not necessarily much of a swing and miss guy, but you just don't know what you're going to get out of him game to game because you take a look at the month of July, he wound up going past the fifth inning in just three starts. In those starts, he gave up three, two, and zero earned runs. He had two starts in which he gave up four plus runs, and then he had a three inning outing in which he gave up no runs against the Chicago Cubs. It's one of those things where you don't know what you're going to get out of him, and you do know that with the Pittsburgh Pirates, they don't back him up with a very good bullpen. I will say, the Mets bullpen ever since the All-Star break, top eight in the league in regards to bullpen ERA, and with those Syndergaard, ever since the beginning of the month of July, he's actually been pretty good. He gave up four runs and five innings against the Philadelphia Phillies in his first start, but over the course of his last four starts, he's won a combined 28 and a third innings, and in that time span, he's given up six runs, so this is a guy that's really starting to turn it around, and with the New York Mets, you've got some guys that are doing a great job with the bat, and it all starts with Pete Alonso. Pete Alonso hitting just below a 260, but he shelled out 34 home runs to go with 77 RBI. You also have to like the fact that Michael Conforto has been solid with the power as well. 21 home runs. He's hitting a 255. Amid Rosario has got his average hovering right around a 275 to a 280. We've got Wilson Ramos hitting a 260. 
Robinson Cano and the Todd Father, Todd Frazier. They need to pick things up. Todd Father hit just below a 240. Robinson Cano just above a 240. J.D. Davis, though, he's sending a 295. Alon Lagares, it's been a hot mess with the bat all year long, but Jeff McNeil, Wando King, the day off yesterday, he's been really providing at the outfield spot. He's hitting nearly a 330 on base percentage, just a shade below 400. And with the Pittsburgh Pirates, you do have quite a few guys that have a solid batting average. Jose Ozuna and Kevin Newman, both hitting between a 300 and a 315. Jacob Sellings is hitting a 290. Kyle Moran and Josh Bell, along with Sterling Marte, hitting between a 280 and a 285. And in the case of Bell, he's got just under 90 RBI, 27 home runs. But ever since the home run derby, it has been a little bit cold. Brian Reynolds, though, he's hitting a 330 on base percentage, nearly 400. And you got Adam Frazier in a 275 himself, but this is a Pittsburgh Pirates team that ever since the All-Star break, going into Saturday, record of 4-16. and 16. They have just been very woeful, and the New York Mets certainly have been doing a good job against the Pittsburgh Pirates so far this year. So for that reason, going to be looking to lay this number with the New York Mets and taking this total over. Noticing a little bit of steam coming in on the under, so I'm in wait and see mode there, and noticing a little bit of money on the Pittsburgh Pirates as well. So right now, in wait and see mode on both of those. 955-956 on the bagging rotation. The Chicago Cubs are playing also the Milwaukee Brewers. Adrian Hauser goes for the Brewers. You Darvish goes for the Cubbies. Your total on this game is off the board since it is a Wrigley Field game, but if you're looking at the Cubs, you're laying anywhere between minus 142 and minus 145. Your plus price with the Brew Crew, anywhere between plus 130 and plus 135. And this is a spot where I'm going to be having to look at the Chicago Cubs with Hauser. He's done a very good job as a reliever this year. He's got a sub-3 ERA whenever he comes out of the bullpen, but as a starter, his ERA climbs to right around 6. This is a guy that just has not really adapted to the role. I will say his last start was actually pretty good. He wound up going a total of five innings, giving up one run against the Oakland A's. That was a very encouraging sign. In the three starts previous, though, he went a combined 15 innings, giving up 12 runs. So that is one of those things where you really don't like that. Meanwhile, you Darvish, you don't like the fact that he's given up four walks per nine innings. But this is a guy that actually, in the month of July, looked to be turning things around. He had two less than stellar starts on the road against the Pirates and the San Francisco Giants. He gave up four runs at each of those. But in his two home starts, he won. Wound up going a combined 12 innings. Did not give up a single run. You even dated back to the month of June. He did get rocked quite a bit in that month, but he did turn some pretty good starts at Wrigley Field. He seems to be a little bit of a better home pitcher than road pitcher recently. It's just been a weird split with him because in the months of May and June, it was absolutely atrocious. In the month of July, he actually looked to be putting things together. And I will say this. This is courtesy of our good friend Mikey Picks. Of the last 11 times these teams have met at Wrigley Field, 10 have stayed under. That is obviously something that you do want to highlight. And the Milwaukee Brewers just have been a little bit more of an under team so far this year. And this despite the fact that they certainly do have their guys that are able to supply some power. And that all starts with Christian Yelich, who has 36 home runs, a 328 batting average, over 85 RBI. But then you do have a couple guys that, well, they do need to pick it up a little bit because we're noticing a little bit of dipping averages with Lorenzo Cain, Eric Thames, and... Yasmani Grandal, all these guys hitting between a 248 and a 255. Orlando Arcia is hitting a 230 for the sponge. Travis Shaw selling well below the Mendoza line. Manny Pina hitting right at the Mendoza line. You've got Mike Boussakis, who does have 26 home runs so far this year, but he's been in a little bit of a power outage. He's hitting a 265. Ryan Braun is hitting a 275. And then whenever you need Ben Gamble, he's been solid. He's been hitting right around a 250. And Kesson Yura hitting a 310 with a bunch of home runs. He's been nice, but. All in all, the Brewers seem to be in a little bit of a funk, but the Chicago Cubs, they don't seem to be in a little bit of a funk because you've got Jason Hayward, Nick Castellanos, 
Wilson Contreras, and Anthony Rizzo. All in between a 275 and a 280. In the case of Rizzo, he has gone deep 21 times so far this year. You also do have to like the fact that Chris Bryant has 21 home runs. He's hitting a 287. Javi Baez has went deep 26 times, nearly a 290 batting average. So, got a lot of power there. You've got Kyle Schwarber, who's went deep 24 times. Only hanging right around a 230, but he's been solid. And whenever you need Victor Carantini, he's hitting a 270. You bring in David Bodie, Albert Amore Jr. Both these guys hitting between a 244 and a 250. And Albert Amore Jr. went deep yesterday as well. Ian Happ is now back to the fold, though. He hasn't looked like himself coming out the injured list. But I do think that the Cubs have enough weapons to be able to get this win. I just don't trust an Adrian Hauser as a starter. And ever since the turn of the All-Star break, the Milwaukee Brewers have had a bottom 10 bullpen in regards to ERA out there in the big leagues. And even though the Cubs blew two games in that series against the Milwaukee Brewers last week, their bullpen has actually been pretty solid. So for that reason, looking at the Chicago Cubs on the money line on the spot, and I'm actually possibly looking at a run line. That won't be out until the morning, so I'm in waiting to see about there, but certainly going to be playing the Cubs. Likely going to be looking at an under as well, but on that one, check back in the morning at GNR Scorty 1 since we don't have a set line on that. 9.57, 9.58 on the bag rotation. The Colorado Rockies play OC San Francisco Giants. Tyler Beatty goes for the Giants. Kyle Freeland for the Colorado Rockies. Total on this game is 14. The under is minus 115 on the juicy over is minus 105 if you're looking at the Giants. Plus price here is between plus 115 and plus 122. Meanwhile, if you want to lay it with the Colorado Rockies, anywhere between minus 130 and minus 132. And I want absolutely no part of Kyle Freeland in this spot. Tyler Beatty, though he hasn't necessarily been lighting the world on fire, has been the second most profitable pitcher out there in the big leagues, according to Oddshark, if you've laid $100 on every one of his starts. This despite the fact that he's given up right around 1.6 to 1.7 home runs per nine innings. He's walking over four guys per nine innings. He has a five ERA, yet the Giants just score runs for him. And I think it's interesting because the Giants score right around 1.8 more runs per game on the road than they do at home. At home, they're playing right around 3.35 runs per game on the road. That climbs to right around 5.25. Meanwhile, with Kyle Freeland, this is a gentleman that has given up fewer than three earned runs once since the month of May. And one of those starts in which he gave up three runs in the month of May, he wound up recording five outs. This is a guy that has been a total hot mess, whether he's been on the injured list, after he came off the injured list, before he came off the injured list. This guy's a wreck. 2-9 record. 7.48 ERA. He's given up 20 home runs in 77 innings. He's walking four guys for nine innings. Now, the San Francisco Giants, they don't necessarily have the Mona Lisa Vitos of hitting out there. He's got Pablo Sandoval right now leading the way with regards to home runs. He had 14 going into the team's game on Saturday. He's in right around a... 265, so he's been doing a little bit of something, but you know what? This team brought in Scooter Jeanette, a guy who was not doing much before going on the injured list for the Reds. He got his first home run yesterday as a San Francisco Giant. Got a bunch of guys that are in between a 230 and a 240, including Jeanette, Brandon Crawford, Steven Duger, Brandon Belt and company, but you have Mike Wieströmski hitting a 275, Donovan Solano, whenever he's out there. He's been doing a good job. Austin Slater's been nice out there in the outfield. Dickerson has been a little bit banged up, but he provided a nice spark as well. Then with the Colorado Rockies, you certainly do have some good bats for this team. Charlie Blackman, Nolan Arenado, and Trevor Story all have 20-plus home runs. In the case of Arenado, Charlie Blackman, along with David Dahl, they're all hitting above a 300 as well. You've got Daniel Murphy hitting a 295. 
Ian Desmond and Ryan McMahon are both hitting at 270. Tony Walters is hitting at 280, which is all well and good. And the Colorado Rockies do play the most runs per game at home, but I do think that this is a total that's a little bit elevated. I think that the Colorado Rockies, aside from Wade Davis, are actually getting a little bit of decent bullpen pitching. And the San Francisco Giants, second best bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues. Now, I do know that they still left Sam Dyson and Mark Melanson at the trade deadline, but they still do have some very solid pieces. So for that reason, going to be riding with the plus price of the San Francisco Giants and the total under. The totals right now at 14. I'm going to be taking this no matter what, but I'd like to see if I'm able to get a little bit more favorable juice. And for some reason, noticing some money coming in on the Colorado. Red Rockies. Don't know how, don't know why. I'll certainly take my better price on the San Francisco Giants and hold off, though. 959-960 on the bag rotation. The Arizona Diamondbacks are playing most of the Washington Nationals. Patrick Corbin goes for the Nets. Taylor Clark for the Arizona Diamondbacks. This is a game of which I had a undecided pitching matchup until the evening, so for that reason, this game is presently off the board, and this is a spot where I'm certainly going to be looking at the Washington Nationals. I will say Taylor Clark did look good in his last start. He wound up going up against the New York Yankees. He gave the team five solid innings, giving up zero earned runs. Start before that against the Baltimore Orioles. Now it is the Baltimore Orioles. He gives up two runs at six innings, so seems to be turning a corner, but in his two starts previous, did not make it out of the the fourth inning, wound up giving up a combined seven runs. The last time he went up against the Giants, he gives up six runs in three innings there. This is a guy that actually seems to pitch a little bit better on the road than he does at home, which seems a little bit weird. Meanwhile, Patrick Corbin, this is a guy that had a little bit of a rough go of it in late May slash early June, but out there in the month of July, he gave up a combined eight runs over the course of six starts. He made it at least six innings in all but one of them. He has really been putting things together. Nine and five record. Doesn't really get into he doesn't really get taken deep. He's giving up just under one home run per nine innings. Now, he is going up against his old team. So, you got to think that the Arizona Diamondbacks do know him a little bit. But, you know what the Washington Nationals also know how to do? They know how to put the ball in play as well. As for the Washington Nationals, Anthony Rendon and Juan Soto both have on-base percentages right around a 400. In the case of Rendon, he's got 23 home runs, over 70 RBI. Juan Soto has been supplying some boom as well. 21 home runs, 71 RBI for him. Adam Eaton and Trey Turner at the top line both hitting between a 280 and a 285. Kurt Suzuki's hitting a 255. Got a couple guys that you need to pick it up with their batting average. Brian Dozier, Gerardo Parra, Matt Adams, Victor Robles, all these guys hitting between a 235 and a 240, but they are getting a lot of power right now for the Airs and the Diamondbacks. You do have to like the fact that Eduardo Escobar and Cattell Marte both have 23 home runs so far this year. Marte is hitting at 315. Eduardo Escobar is hitting at 280. David Peralta also hitting at 280. Christian Walker is one deep 20 times. He's hitting at 250. And then you've got Jake Lamb, who's been a little bit of an interesting character. On base percentage of a 370, but he's only hitting a 230 with regards to his batting average. And Alex Avila, a very similar player. 215 batting average, on base percentage, 375. So they're finding a way on. They're just not providing a lot of contact. A man that's doing a good job of providing contact and is actually the best fielder in regards to war out there in the big leagues is Nick Ahmad. He's hitting at 265. Carson Kelly has also been hitting right around at 270 as well. And then you've got Gerard Dyson and Tim LeCastro. Two outfielders are in between a 245 and a 255 in the case of Dyson. One of the best base dealers out there in the big league. So as long as you're not getting something completely airbrained where the Arizona Diamondbacks are like a $2 underdog or anything like that, going to be looking at the Washington Nationals. This total is going to be intriguing. If you're seeing something like an 8, I'd probably be looking at an over. Something north of 9, probably going to be looking at an under because the Arizona Diamondbacks 
Diamondbacks. Won the bottom eight teams in the big leagues in regards to hitting home runs at home. Won the top eight teams in the big leagues in regards to hitting home runs on the road. That's a little bit of an intriguing split. So check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNRSquare81, but that's my early read on that. 961-962 on the bang rotation. The San Diego Padres hit the road to face off against the LA Dodgers. Kenta Maeda goes for the Dodgers. Chris Paddock goes for the San Diego Padres. Your total on this game is 8. The over is just anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. Actually seeing a little bit of minus 105 out there as well now too. That just flashed up. Meanwhile, that means that the under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115 as well. If you're looking at the Padres, the plus price is drying up as we speak. That is anywhere between plus 130 and plus 136. Meanwhile, if you want to lay it with the Dodgers, anywhere between minus 142 and minus 146. And we've seen the best and the worst of Kenta Maeda so far this year. Few have success when they go to Coors Field, and certainly it did not serve him well as he wound up not being able to make it to the fifth inning. He wound up giving up five runs in four innings. Start before that against the Angels. He winds up giving up three runs in four and a third innings. But over the course of the year, he's actually been pretty solid because other than those couple outings, he's given up more than three earned runs in just one start since May 10th. So all in all, he's been solid. But the last time he wound up facing off against the San Diego Padres at home, he actually made it into the eighth inning. He gave up three runs in the process, and he took the loss. Meanwhile, Chris Paddock, ever since getting recalled from AAA, this is a man that has been very, very good. That includes a start against the Dodgers on the road in which he went five and two-thirds innings, did not give up a single run there. He has essentially made six starts ever since getting recalled from AAA, has not given up more than three earned runs in any of those starts. He's done a nice job of being able to limit the hard contact, right around 1.35 home runs per nine innings. He's allowing right in the neighborhood of two walks per nine innings as well. And with the San Diego Padres, they just seem to have the number of the LA Dodgers. Going into Saturday, they'd already knocked off the Dodgers four times at Dodger Stadium this year. You do have a guy in Manny Machado that's doing a great job of being a match for this team. We know that Femio Reyes is out of the fold, but Manny Machado's hitting a 275, 25 home runs for him. Hunter Renfro has won deep 30 times, only hitting a 237, and Josh Naylor is hitting a 236 himself. But you do have to like the fact that Fernando Tatis Jr. at the top of the lineup is also providing for this team. 325 batting average. He's got 19 home runs. Does a good job of being able to seal some bases. Now you do have a couple guys that you need to pick it up with their batting average as well though. Austin Hedges, Will Myers, Ian Kinsler, and Francisco Mejia. All guys are hitting a 230 or lower, but Eric Hosmer has nearly 70 RBI. He's hitting a 285, and you get Greg Garcia back in the fold. On base percentage right around a 360, 272 batting average for him. Meanwhile, with the Dodgers, you certainly have been getting a lot of power out of Max Muncy. 26 home runs for him, hitting right around a 260. Jock Peterson has slugged out 23 home runs, but his batting average is only at a 232, so... That has been a little bit of a concern. You've got Justin Turner and Alex Verdugo doing a nice job of getting on base. Both hitting between a 284 and a 294. Matt Beattie is in that fold as well, hitting a 290. Will Smith at the catcher spot has been a massive upgrade to Russell Martin and Austin Barnes, two guys that have been struggling this year. And Corey Seager's hitting a 270, but then you have that man, Cody Bellinger. He has really been the star for this team. 330 batting average for 36 home runs, 85 RBI. But you also have this with the Dodgers. Their bullpen has not necessarily been great. Guys like Emi Garcia, Caleb Ferguson, and company have not gotten the job done. And other than Kirby Yates, the San Diego Padres certainly have had their bullpen woes as well. So for that reason, this is a spot where I'm going to be looking at the San Diego Padres with a plus price. 
And I do think that this is a game that's going to stay under, despite what I said about the bullpens, just because I do think that Paddock is going to be able to give seven strong innings. I mentioned it before the last time with Maeda. He wound up going into the eighth inning the last time he pitched against the Padres at home. So I do think that they're going to be able to give some good length there. And I've actually locked both of these in because we've seen the total on this game already go from eight and a half to eight. So I was able to lock in that eight and a half. And with the Padres, I'm just noticing more and more steam coming in. So I just took what I could. 963, 964 on the bank rotation. The Baltimore Orioles are going to be playing mostly Toronto Blue Jays. Sean Reed fully goes for the Jays. Meanwhile, Tom Shellman is going to be on the bump for the Baltimore Orioles. If you're looking at this total, you're going to be finding it at 11 with the under of juice of minus 115. The over is minus 105. If you like the Blue Jays, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 154 and minus 160. Plus price with the Orioles, anywhere between plus 140 and plus 148. And that is not enough to draw me in and back the Baltimore Orioles. You take a look, Thomas Shellman. 635 ERA. This is a guy that has not been good as he's giving up 2.8 home runs for nine innings. Meanwhile, Sean Reed Foley. He was a failure as a starter last year, and I will say the whip is a little bit high, 1-4-2, but it's 17 and two-thirds innings. He's only given up two home runs. Now the walks are an issue. He's given up over five walks per nine innings. That is something that he needs to work on, but a 2.55 ERA. You take a look at his last start against the Royals. He winds up going five innings, doesn't give up a single run. Before that, he goes three and a third against the Boston Red Sox. Doesn't give up a single run. He just does a good job of bending but not breaking. And with the Toronto Blue Jays, this is a team that's actually pretty hot right now. They have won six out of their last seven games going into Saturday. And this is a team that, as a whole, they just don't provide a whole lot of batting average. But they do have a lot of guys that have been providing a lot of power, including Freddie Galvis. 18 home runs for him. Lourdes Gurriel has won deep 19 times himself. With Lourdes Gurriel, he's hitting a 289. Freddie Galvis, more in the neighborhood of a 270. And you've also got Vlad Guerrero Jr. now hitting a 270. Hasn't necessarily been a masher in regards to his home runs, but... All in all, he's been picking things up. You bring up Bo Bichette. He's hitting above a 400 in the week or so that he's been up at the big leagues. Now, you do have a couple guys, and by a couple, I mean a lot of guys that you need to pick it up with their batting average. Justin Smoke, Randall Gritchick, Derek Fisher, Brandon Drury, Tasker Hernandez, everyone at the catcher spot, and Rowdy Telez, all hitting a 230 or lower. But I will say this, Justin Smoke, Rowdy Telez, Randall Gritchick, all guys that have between 14 and 18 home runs as well. And Tasker Hernandez, I believe, has 15 as well. So they certainly are getting some power there. Meanwhile, the Baltimore Orioles, you do have to like the fact that Hanser Alberto is hitting above a 300 against lefties. Nearly a 400. Anthony Santander's been doing a nice job of getting on base. 295 for him. We noticed that Trey Mancini has really been doing a great job as well. 26 home runs, 280 batting average. Renato Nunes has went deep 25 times. He's hitting nearly a 250. Jonathan Villar is hitting right around a 265 as well. But then you got the guys that they need to pick it up a little bit. Chris Davis, Richie Martin, Stevie Wilkerson, Chance Sisko. All these guys are hitting a 225 or lower. Now Pedro Severino is back in the fold as well. He's hitting a 270. That's been big. But Jace Peterson hasn't providing too much whenever he's gotten at bats as well. This is a Baltimore Orioles team that has really sunk back with regards to their bullpen as well. It's been brutal the last couple of days. Meanwhile, the Toronto Blue Jays, ever since the All-Star break, have a top five bullpen in regards to ERA as well. So that has been a big plus for them. And I think the Toronto Blue Jays are going to be able to get to a showman. And they're going to 
Michelle, man. So for that reason, we're going to be going with this total under because I do think that Sean Reed Foley is going to be able to provide a good start, but I'm going to be looking at the Toronto Blue Jays on the run line. When you take a look at a run line price with the Toronto Blue Jays, currently I'm seeing that hovering right around minus 110, so I would like to see if that is able to get to even if at all possible, but certainly going to be riding with the Blue Jays and the under in this spot. We move on to 965, 966 on the betting rotation. It is the LA Angels, and they hit the road to face off against the Cleveland Indians. Shane Bieber Fever goes for the Indians. Jaime Badia goes for the LA Angels. Your total on this game is 9. The over is minus 120. The under is juice of even. If you're looking at the Angels, well, you're certainly going to be getting a plus price here. That is anywhere between plus 185 and plus 190. Meanwhile, if you want to lay it with the Cleveland Indians, going to be laying anywhere between minus 210 and minus 220. And I really do like what I've seen out of Shane Bieber so far this year. And Jaime Barilla actually has had some decent outings so far this year. They're all just masked by the fact that he had just one terrible showing, which jacked up his ERA to a 628. It's one of those things where he just had one bad start, and it just ballooned everything because it gets the Seattle Mariners a few weeks ago. He winds up recording a grand total of 11 outs and gave up 10 runs in the process. The other three start-slash-appearances he made in the month of July, he wound up going five innings, giving up either one or two runs in every one of those. So he actually hasn't been too bad, but the LA Angels bullpen, ever since the All-Star break, has had one of the highest ERAs out there in the big leagues, and Maria is not necessarily giving a lot of innings, so that is something that you do want to note. Meanwhile, Mr. Shane Bieber Fever, he has been going deep in a lot of his starts. I will say, ever since the All-Star break, he has had two out of his four starts in which he's given up three-plus runs, so that has been a little bit of a concern, but all in all, this is a gentleman that has been doing a very good job. In the month of June, he wound up giving up more than two earned runs in just one of his starts as well. And this is a guy that was giving up the deep ball a lot to begin the year. Now he's given up, I would say, 1.2 to 1.25 home runs per nine innings. Meanwhile, with Mr. Berea, he is giving up more than two home runs per nine innings. And with Shane Bieber, he also does a good job of not giving up walks right around two per nine innings. And with the Cleveland Indians, we all know about that revamp lineup. Before, it was really Carlos Santana and also Francisco Lindor that were able to provide a little bit. Now you bring in their Femio Reyes and Yasiel Puig. Yasiel Puig has 22 home runs so far this year. He and Femio Reyes both hitting right around to 255. Femio Reyes, 27 home runs himself. Jose Ramirez has really picked things up since the All-Star break. He's got his batting average back to a respectable 240. Jason Kipnis is now hitting above a 250 as well. And then you got Oscar Mercado, goes a little bit under the radar, 290 batting average. Francisco Lindor, we mentioned him a little bit earlier, 19 home runs, 308 batting average. Carlos Santana, 23 home runs. He's hitting right around to 275 to 280. And then you got guys like Taylor Naquin running at 290. Whenever you need Greg Allen, he hasn't necessarily been great this year, but he seems to be picking things up. Doran Luplo hitting a 265 as well. And then with the LA Angels, you do have a bunch of guys that do a great job of getting on base. As with this team, you've got Daniel Fletcher, Mike Trout, and Shoei Otani all in between a 285 and a 290. And we all know what Mr. Mike Trout is able to do. This is a guy with over 80 RBI, 36 home runs. He has been absolutely magnificent. You've also got a pair of guys in Cole Calhoun and Albert Pujols that are slugging out the long ball. Both in between a 235 and a 240, but with Cole Calhoun, 24 home runs for him. Meanwhile, with Albert Pujols, he has went deep 17 times. Kevin Smith, whenever he's out there at the catcher spot, has been solid. He's hitting a 265. Matt Theus and Luis Rangifo in the infield are both hitting a 245. Justin Upton's been a hot mess. He's barely hitting above a 200. Things have really not gone well for him since getting off the injured list. And 
I do think that with the Indians revamp lineup, it's going to allow them to be able to get this win with the Indians. You also have the number one bullpen in regards to ERA in the big leagues as well. So for that reason, going to be looking at the Indians on the run line. And I do think that both these teams are going to be able to score some runs. So I'm going to be taking this total over with the Indians run line. That is currently going to be one where you're going to be laying a little bit of juice as that is minus 115 across the board. would like to see if I'm able to lay a little bit less if at all possible. I'm currently in wait and see mode because I don't want to lay the minus 120 on this over but actually rather take an unjuiced 9.5 if at all possible. 967, 968 on the bank rotation. The Minnesota Twins play also the Kansas City Royals. Brad Keller goes for the Royals. Jake Odorizzi for the Minnesota Twins. So on this game is 10.5. The under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 105. If you're looking at the Royals, you're going to be getting a plus price here. Anywhere between plus 170 and plus 185. Meanwhile, if you'd like to lay it with the Minnesota Twins, you're going to be laying it anywhere between minus 190 and minus 210. And Jake Odorizzi has been a little bit of a hot mess for the Minnesota Twins recently. And other than his bad start against the Toronto Blue Jays, Brad Keller has actually been very good for the Kansas City Royals. For the year, Brad Keller certainly has not been profitable, according to Odd Jerk, if you laid $100 on him. Certainly not making a lot of money, and the opposite is true for Jake Odorizzi, but with Brad Keller, you take a look at what he was able to do in the month of July. Aside from giving up four runs and seven innings against the Toronto Blue Jays, he was absolutely magnificent because in his other four starts, he gave up a combined four runs going at least five and two-thirds in every one of them. So I do think that that is something that you do have to look at. He's not quite as good on the road as he is at home, but his splits aren't necessarily dramatic. Meanwhile, Jake Odorizzi, he's really seen some regression. In the month of July, he had a couple starts in which he was very good. He wound up on the road going up against the Marlins and the Cleveland Indians, giving up one run and a little bit over five innings in both those starts. But in his other three starts, twice against the Oakland A's and once against the New York Yankees, two of these, keep in mind, were at home gave up a combined 17 runs in 12 innings. And you even dated back to the month of June. In his last three starts in the month of June, gave up three earned runs or more in all three of those starts. So things not going well there. And for the Kansas City Royals, this is a team that have a couple guys at the top of the lineup that do a very good job of getting on base. With Mirfield hitting a 300 for the sponsor, still without Adelberto Mondesi, but you do have Alex Gordon, Hunter Dozier, and Chesler Cuthbert all doing a good job of getting on base. Gordon and Dozier hitting between a 275 and a 285. Cuthbert, more around to 295. You are also noticing that Bubba Starlin has stepped up. His batting average is right around to 275. Cam Gallagher has been doing a better job at the uh, catcher spot. Jorge Solera has 29 home runs. He's hitting at 250. Do have a couple guys, though, that they really need to pick it up with the bat. Billy Hamilton, Nicky Lopez, Chris Owings, Lucas Duda, Ryan O'Hearn, all these guys are hitting a 225 or lower, but you take a look at the Minnesota Twins, you certainly do have a team that is able to crush the ball. Nelson Cruz has 28 home runs. He's hitting a 291. Mitch Garver, 19 home runs, 280 batting average there. Jorge Polanco, 300 batting average. He's got over 15 home runs. Miguel Sano is getting a home run every 12 or so at bats. Max Kepler, 30 home runs, 270 batting average. CJ Crone is now back in the fold. He's hitting a 265. Before going on the injury list, he had like 17 home runs. Then guys like Byron Buxton, Jonathan Scope, even Jason Castro. These guys are in between a 250 and a 260. They've got a little bit of pop. And Luis Arreyes has an on-base percentage of a 420. So certainly is a fearsome lineup, but... You also have to be fearsome that Jake Odorizzi is just going to have another blow-up start, and I do think that that's going to be the case, and I do think that Brad Keller is going to be able to pick up where he left off before that start against the Toronto Blue Jays and be able to deliver a solid one. So for that reason, going to be riding with the Royals with that plus price and the total under. We'll also throw this in with the Royals. They've given up the fewest home runs out there in the bullpen ever since the All-Star break as well, right around 
0.6 home runs per nine innings since the All-Star break for that bullpen. So they keep things out in front of them. And with these, I am in wait CMO because I certainly think the public is going to be all bored and over. And I think they're going to be all bored the Minnesota Twins as well. So I'm waiting CMO on those. 969-970 on the bank rotation. The Houston Astros play host the Seattle Mariners. It is going to be Justin Verlander going for the Houston Astros. Looks like you're going to get an opener of Matt Whistler. That's what I was seeing a little bit earlier. But that is still in a little bit of wait and see mode as well as it is currently listed up as the on the betting board as to be announced. So for that reason, we don't have a number on this game. But I can tell you right now, Justin Verlander has been absolutely magnificent aside from giving up the deep ball. This is a gentleman that's giving up more than two home runs per nine innings, but he's also getting right around 11 to 12 strikeouts per nine innings. You take a look at his four starts since the All-Star break. He's given up four earned runs and he's went a combined 25 innings. And that's against the Texas Rangers twice, the Oakland A's, and Cleveland Indians. So, some teams that know how to hit. Meanwhile, with the Seattle Mariners, I do think that it's going to be Tommy Malone. And this is a guy that, he actually had a very nice start to the year. And the last time he pitched against the Houston Astros, he actually gave a very good, I guess you could call, bulk appearance. But he also gave up five or more runs in three out of his last four starts. Things are not going well for him. Things are not going well for the Seattle Mariners in general as they just got completely pummeled by the Houston Astros yesterday. And with the Houston Astros, they back up one of the best pitchers out there in the big leagues with a lineup that is just absolutely lethal. You've got Jose Altuve, Michael Brantley, and Jordan Alvarez all hitting above a 300. In the case of Alvarez, he's hitting a 340 and he's getting right around a home run every 11 or so at bats. It's absolutely insane. George Springer hitting right around a 295 himself. He's got over 20 home runs. Gotta love the fact that Alex Bregman has been hitting a bunch of home runs. His batting average is hovering right around a 262. He's one of the league leaders in regards to walks. 27 home runs for him. Carlos Correa, Yuri Gurriel. Two guys are in between a 290 and a 295. Carlos Correa has been doing a great job ever since getting off the injured list. Josh Reddick is hitting a 275. I mean, the list of bats goes on and on. Meanwhile, Seattle Mariners, you do have Daniel Volga back out there. He's only hitting a 233, but his on base percentage more around a 260, more around a 360. He's got 26 home runs, so he's been very solid. I will say, Domingo Santana is hitting a 270. He's got 21 home runs at 67 RBI, but he's got one of the highest strikeout rates out there in the big leagues. Austin Nola, in very limited at bats, has been doing terrific. 333 batting average. JP Crawford, though, he's seen a dip in his batting average to a 250. Malik Smith is hitting a 232, though, I will say, 30 stolen bases. That right now leads the league, but you've got a bunch of guys that they do need to pick it up with their bat. Dylan Moore, Mac Williamson, Ryan Court, Keon Broxton, Kyle Seeger. All hitting at 215 or lower. This is a Seattle Mariners team that does not have a lot going for it. They actually do have the highest over percent out there in the big leagues going into Saturday. It was hovering right around 64%, and they're cashing a lot of overs when they're on the road. Problem is, it's because they're giving up a whole bunch of runs, and their offense has actually went back to right around league average in regards to runs per game over the past month or so. So for that reason, going to be probably looking at the Astros on the run line. If you're taking a look at this game, and it's got a total of about nine or so, probably going to be looking at it over just because I think that the Astros could score right around seven or eight all by themselves. But as always, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at you and underscore for set plays there. 971-972 on the bang rotation. The Detroit Tigers are going to be hitting the road to face off against the Texas Rangers. Pedro Payano goes for the Texas Rangers. Jordan Zimmerman for the Detroit Tigers. Your total on this game is 11.5. The unders anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The overs anywhere between minus 110 and minus 105. If you're looking at the Texas Rangers, going to be laying anywhere between minus 185 and minus 205. So this is rising by the moment. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Tigers, your plus price here is anywhere between plus 170 and plus 180. 
I know that Jordan Zimmerman was able to get off the schneid, and he had a nice start in which he was able to get a win over the LA Angels, but that is against an LA Angels team that, let's face it, at that time and probably still currently, is scuffling, and he's 1-8, 723 ERA. With Jordan Zimmerman, he's given up right around 1.5 home runs per nine innings, 164 whip. I always say that if your whip would be a pretty good bench press for a set of 10, then you're not doing very good. I would consider 165 for a set of 10 to be pretty good. Meanwhile, with Mr. Payano, this is a man that has made, I guess you could call it two starts slash bulk appearances. They've had an opener come in from before, so you do want to note that before locking in a bet on this game. You want to make sure that you have the correct starter, but in, I guess you could call it his two appearances, he's won 10 in the third innings against the Seattle Mariners and Oakland A's, both on the road, giving up a combined four earned runs. His AAA numbers were neither great nor awful, but with the Detroit Tigers, they are absolutely awful at hitting right-handed pitching. I have no idea how and I have no idea why, but they're in the bottom three in the big leagues and just about every respect to hitting right-handed pitching. So I do think that that's something that's going to come in. And with the Detroit Tigers, you just don't have a lot to speak of with this team. Miguel Cabrera sitting at 283, which is nice. And you are also getting a little bit of something out of Brandon Dixon. Brandon Dixon hitting at 260, 14 home runs for him. He's been doing a solid job. Aero Castro is hitting at 290. And you are getting some guys that are now getting a chance to be able to perform. Travis Demerit, hopefully I said that correctly, now out there in right field. Jake Rogers is at the catcher spot. Both these guys, eliminated bats have been decent, but then you got the guys that are really letting the team down, like Grayson Griner, Jody Mercer, Jacoby Jones, Christian Stewart, Jaimir Candelario, Rowdy Rodriguez. They're all eating at 235 or lower. Nico Goodrum is up to his added fridge at 250, though, which is encouraging, but this is a team that is just still as offensive as Ned Flanders. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Texas Rangers getting a little bit more out of this team. I know that Sinchuchu was out of the lineup yesterday, but he's hitting at 285. He's got 18 home runs. Elvis Andrews also hitting a 285. You've now got Hunter Pence and Willie Calhoun both hitting above a 290. Hunter Pence was able to provide a whole lot of home runs before going on the injured list. Danny Santana has been absolutely magnificent for this team, hitting just below a 330. He's got right around 15 to 16 home runs himself. Rudinette Odor only hitting at 210. That is a big issue, but he's got 19 home runs and 63 RBI, and you do have a couple guys that do need to pick it up with their batting average because along with Odor, you have Ronald Guzman, Tim Fedorowicz, Ezdrubal Cabrera, and Jeff Mathis, all guys are hitting below a 230, so that has been an obvious issue. But Delano DeShields Jr. providing some good on-base percentage right around a 350, 265 batting average for him. Isaiah Kinnear-Felfa now back at the fold as well. You are getting a couple Texas Rangers guys that are now back at the fold because of the injury to Joey Gallo, so they're trying out a couple things there. And the Texas Rangers bullpen as a whole has not been great, but the Detroit Tigers wound up selling off essentially anyone that was respectable out there in the bullpen as well. So for that reason, looking at the Rangers on the run line, and I am actually going to be looking at the under despite the bullpens, just because the Detroit Tigers don't have a lot of offense to speak of at this point. With the Rangers run line, currently seeing that right around a minus 110 to even as high as a minus 120, so I'm in Wayne Seymour to see if I'm able to lay a little bit less juice. And with this under, we'd like to see if this total is able to jump a a little bit or if I'm able to get it unjuiced if at all possible. Just want to get as much insurance as possible because I can see the Texas Rangers putting up a nine spot and you're sweating out whether or not the Detroit Tigers are going to score two or three runs. So in wait and see mode there. 973, 974 on the bang rotation. This game is totally off the board and it is a Sunday night game as it's going to be the Boston Red Sox in New York to take on the New York Yankees. For the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees, it reads to be announced for both pitchers, but according to ESPN, we're going to get David Bryce versus J.A. Happ, so this game is presently off the board. 
And what we've noticed is that the Yankees actually do play quite a few unders at home. Right now for the season, their over percent is right around 42 to 43 percent, depending on what happens in game two of this doubleheader. So they've actually been playing the majority of their games to the under. And with Jay Happ, this is a guy that actually towards the beginning of the month of July looked very good. His first three starts, he gave up two runs or fewer. But then his last two starts, he combined nine and a third innings, giving up nine runs to the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Minnesota Twins. He's got for the year a 5.19 ERA. He's giving up more than two home runs per nine innings. And David Price has seen some regression himself. 7-4 record, 3.86 ERA for the year. And he's getting over 10 strikeouts per nine innings. But take a look at the most recent starts for David Price. They have not been good. He's won a combined 14 and a third innings, giving up a grand total of 13 runs in those starts, giving up at least three in each of them. Before then, he had given up more than two earned runs and I believe one out of his last seven starts. So needless to say, things have soured a little bit for him. And for the Boston Red Sox, something that is not souring is the fact that their offense is firing on all cylinders. You've got a bunch of guys that have between 21 and 24 home runs for this team. That includes Rafael Devers, Xander Bogarts, and J.D. Martinez. In the case of Devers, he's hitting a 325, Xander Bogarts a 311, and J.D. Martinez a 297. So they're all providing. You have Mookie Betts and Andrew Benatendi out there in the outfield, both hitting between a 280 and a 285. Christian Vasquez is hitting a 282. Scott Travis has sent his average up to a 272. Michael Chavis has won the highest strikeout rates out there in the big leagues, but he's hitting a 255. 17 home runs for him. He's been a nice, unexpected piece. And then you've got Marco Hernandez and Brock Holt, both hitting above a 315 as well. So that's been nice. Meanwhile, the New York Yankees, now you've got Edwin Encarnacion now on the injured list. It's just absolutely comical how many guys they've had to blow through, but they still have a bunch of guys that are doing a great job of getting on base with Cameron Maben, Gio Urshela, and DJ LeMayu, all hitting above a 305. And in the case of LeMayu, he wound up going deep twice yesterday off of Chris Sale. 17 home runs, 75 RBI for him, Aaron Judge, and Labor Torres. Both guys hitting between a 280 and a 285. And you also got Mike Talkman hitting a 280. I don't know where that came from, but that's a nice find. Gary Sanchez is still on the injured list, so Austin Romine has to trot out there with his 255 batting average. And with the New York Yankees, they've just been finding a way all year long. And their bullpen is obviously a little bit taxed because they had to go with the wholesale approach in their game against the Boston Red Sox in Game 2 of the doubleheader, but the Boston Red Sox certainly did not do their bullpen any favors either, as they had to go with a wholesale approach as well. So this is a spot where you have to base it on the starters, and I probably would give a little bit of an edge to David Price, but I do know this about David Price as well. He has always struggled out there in Yankee Stadium, so if the Yankees are laying a small number, probably going to be looking at them. If this total is right in the neighborhood of like a 9, 9.5, probably going to be looking at it over. If you're seeing something where the total is in the double digits, might be looking at an under, but that's my early read there. Check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNRSCord1 once we get a line posted. 975-976 on the bank rotation. The Philadelphia Phillies play OC Chicago White Sox. Drew Smiley goes for the Philadelphia Phillies. Ronaldo Lopez goes for the Chicago White Sox. Your total on this game is 9.5. Over and under, both at minus 110 if you want to lay it with the Philadelphia Phillies. Anywhere between minus 159 and minus 168. Meanwhile, your plus price with the White Sox is anywhere between between plus 145 and plus 152. And this is a spot where I'm going to be having to look at the White Sox. Drew Smiley has actually looked very good in his first two starts with the Philadelphia Phillies. This is a man that when he was with the Texas Rangers, he was issuing right around six walks per nine innings, giving up two and a half home runs per nine innings. In his two starts with the Philadelphia Phillies, he's won 13 innings and given up one run. I'm not sure how and I'm not sure why, but he's all of a sudden looked like a new man. I think that that comes back in this one, though. Even against a Chicago White Sox team that ever since the All-Star break, they are by far the worst offense out there in the big leagues. 
I believe that they have scored three runs or fewer in 13 out of their last 19 games. Needless to say, things have not gone well for them. But you know what? Ronaldo Lopez. This is a man that has given up a combined six earned runs over his last four starts. He is going right around six innings on average in these starts as well. He actually had a seven-inning appearance on the road against the Tampa Bay Rays in which the team won. He was a tough luck loser in which he gave up two runs and eight innings against Miami Marlins. And he actually looks to be pitching better. And he's backed up by a bullpen that, with the Chicago White Sox, ever since the All-Star break, has been one of the best out there in the big leagues and has been, in all honesty, pretty good all year. With the Chicago White Sox, I know that their offense has been very bad so far this year, but you still do have a couple guys that are able to shell it out and are able to provide for the team. Jose Abreu, 23 home runs for this bunch. He's hitting just above a 260. He's been by far their best RBI guy, just under 70 for him. You've got John Jay. He's done a solid job of getting on base. 325 average error. Tim Anderson is now back to the fold. He's hitting a 310. Lourdes Garcia's hitting a 290. You've got Ryan Goins hitting right around a 275 to a 280 himself. Yomer Sanchez has seen a little bit of regression. He and Eloy Jimenez are both hanging between a 235 and a 245. You can lump in there Ryan Cordell as well. The catcher spot of this team right now is in a little bit of flux with James McCann having to get the day off yesterday. And then you also do have a couple guys like your A.J. Reeds and company that are just doing absolutely nothing. But with the Philadelphia Phillies, you do have to like the fact that you've got a couple guys that are hitting right around a 280 to a 290. Scott Kingery's hitting a 275. Then you got Gene Segura and Cesar Hernandez both hitting in that 285 range. Bryce Harper and Reese Hoskins have been doing a good job of being able to draw walks. And Bryce Harper's hitting right around a 250. He's got 19 home runs and Reese Hoskins went deep along with Harper yesterday. 24 home runs for him. 260 batting average there. And then you've got Sergio Rodriguez hitting a 240. Adam Zelli hitting a 250. Miguel Franco hitting a 230. So you don't have a whole lot there. JT Riamuto has been a nice piece for the team. He wound up getting the day off yesterday. He's hitting a 270. But with the Philadelphia Phillies, they also have a bullpen that is very hard to trust in as well. And I think that the White Sox are going to get a better start out of Lopez. And I do think that Drew Smiley reverts to being Drew Smiley. I do think that Lopez is going to give up a couple runs as well. But in this spot, I think it's exactly what the White Sox need to get going on offense. So for that reason, going to be riding out the plus price of the White Sox and the total under. Currently, Wayne Seamode on this over, trying to see if I'm able to get a little bit more favorable juice. And I'm noticing the money coming in on Philly, so on Wayne Seamode there. 977-978 on the bag rotation. The Tampa Bay Rays play also the Miami Marlins. Caleb Smith goes for the Marlins. Meanwhile, Yoni Chirinos goes for the Tampa Bay Rays. Total on this game is 8 over and under, both at minus 110. If you're looking at the fish, you're going to be getting a big plus price as you're going to be reeling in anywhere between plus 155 and plus 165. Meanwhile, if you'd like to lay it with the Rays, well, you're going to be stung by laying anywhere between minus 170 and minus 180. And Yoni Chirinos was very good to start the year. Out of his first 11 starts to begin the year, 10 of them wound up going under, but you do have a guy out there in Caleb Smith. I know that he's not quite as good on the road as he is at home, but in his last road start against the Chicago White Sox, he looked pretty stinking good there. 7-4 record, 3.43 ERA. Does a very good job of being able to get swings and misses. Right around 11 strikeouts per nine innings, and you take a look at Caleb Smith ever since coming off the injury list. He has been pretty dynamic. In his five starts ever since coming off the injured list, he has given up more than three earned runs in just one of those starts. He has also went at least six innings in four out of those five starts as well, which is crucial because the Miami Marlins bullpen, which had been looking better before going into Saturday, was really taxed yesterday, so that's going to be big. Meanwhile, with Chirinos, you take a look at his last three starts. They have just been awful. He's given up a combined 13 runs in them, wound up going a combined 14 and two-thirds innings, 
things have really soured from, and a lot of that is because he's given up a little bit too much hard contact right around 1.4 to 1.5 home runs per nine innings. Does a great job of not walking, guys. He's giving up a little bit over two walks per nine innings, so he does keep things out in front of him, and with Caleb Smith, he gives up just under three walks per nine innings, but we are noticing that the Miami Marlins are starting to get a little bit of something going with the offense. Garrett Cooper has been very good for this team. His batting average just below a 300. You do also have Miguel Rojas sitting at 291. You're getting a little bit of something out of guys like Sterling Castro and Brett Anderson as well. Brett Anderson and Sterling Castro both hitting between a 240 and a 250, but in the case of Anderson, he has went deep 16 times so far this year, so he has been certainly providing a little bit of power for the team that doesn't have a lot of it. Neil Walker only hitting at 260 himself, so that's obviously been an issue. You've got Martin Prado back, but he's only hitting at 240. Cesar Puello, though, ever since joining the team, has been hitting at 250. Jorge Alfaro is back in the fold. He's hitting at 260, and whenever you need Brian Holiday, he's been solid in Aaron Ramirez, hitting at 270 himself, but with the Tampa Bay Rays, this is a team that has been playing a lot of overs recently. I believe that each of their last four or five games have went over. And with this team in general, you don't necessarily have that guy that is going to light up the world and is going to hit for 40 home runs or anything like that. But got a bunch of guys like Tommy Pham who are hitting at 275 with 16 home runs. You throw in there Austin Meadows as he's hitting at 287. He's went deep 18 times so far this year. Even Willie Adamas has been able to provide 14 home runs. He's been doing a solid job. 240 batting average there. You pick up Eric Sogard. He's hitting above a 300. Obviously, Al Garcia has been a little bit of a rock for this team all year long. He's batting average just above a 275. 14 home runs for him. Matt Duffy's seeing a little bit of a dip in his average to a 265, but you got Mark Versailles still hitting a 290 as well. Jesus Aguiar was a big trade deadline pickup for them from the Milwaukee Bears. And with the Tampa Bay Rays, you do have a solid bullpen, but it seems to be getting a little bit more roughed up as of late. And I do think that Caleb Smith is going to be able to provide a better start than Torino's, who has just not been good recently. So for that reason, going to be riding with the plus price of the Marlins, and I'm going to be taking this total over. With the over, I'm in Wayne Simo because this actually opened up at 8.5. It's already down to 8, this total is. So certainly looking to see if I'm able to get a little bit more value there. And Let's face it, all the money is coming in on the Rays. Not many people like to bet the Miami Marlins, who have actually been one of the more profitable teams out there in the big leagues with regards to their road record, just because they do always get plus prices, and they haven't necessarily been a train wreck on the road. As you take a look at their road record for the year, it is 20-30. and 30. So for that reason, going to be looking at the Marlins and the over and Wayne Seaman on both of those. And we wrap things up with 979-980 on the bank rotation, as it is the St. Louis Cardinals on the road against the Oakland A's. Tanner Rohr goes for the A's. Adam Wainwright for the St. Louis Cardinals. Your total on this game game is 9. Over Zeus, anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even and minus 110. If you're looking at the Oakland A's, well, the number is dipping as we speak. You're going to be laying anywhere between minus 114 and minus 120. Meanwhile, the plus price on the St. Louis Cardinals is anywhere between even and plus 110. A lot of money coming in on the St. Louis Cardinals right now, and I actually think that Dana Rourke is going to be a little bit fired up to be on the Oakland A's. We were talking with our man from the Action Network, Sean Zarrillo, yesterday, and because Tanner Rourke is a little bit more of a pitch-to-contact guy, Oakland does favor him a little bit more, and Adam Wainwright is a guy for the St. Louis Cardinals. A lot of his starts have actually been going under so far this year. The St. Louis Cardinals have won the better bullpens out there in the big leagues with regards to ERA and not giving up home runs. But with Adam Rainwright, you take a look at his last three starts. One of them was very good. He gives up one run in five two, and two-thirds innings against the Chicago Cubs, but then he gives up four runs in five innings against the Pirates, and then on the road against the Cincinnati Reds, he gives up seven runs, and he only records ten outs in that one. And this is a guy that actually has been significantly worse on the road than he has been at home. At home, this guy has been a rock. 
on the road. He has given up more than three earned runs in all but one of his starts ever since the beginning of May. So certainly you have some splits there. Meanwhile, Dan O'Rourke, this is a guy that certainly saw some regression in his last couple starts with the Cincinnati Reds. In the month of July, he wound up giving up four runs or more in three out of his five starts. Now, he did turn a gem the last time he went up against the St. Louis Cardinals going five innings, giving up two runs there. So that's actually an encouraging sign. And I do think that the Oakland A's are going to be able to have a good go of it here as you do have quite a few guys that have been doing a good job of being able to pick it up with their bats. They were able to get off to a nice start yesterday. And you got to love what Matt Chapman is doing. Matt Chapman going into Saturday, 24 home runs for him. His batting average hovering right around a 260 to a 265. If you have Marcus Simeon at the top of the lineup, he's hitting between a 270 and a 275. Got a lot of guys that are hitting between, I would say, a 245 and a 260 as well. Matt Olson, Jeff Feigley, Chris Herman, Robbie Grossman, Stephen Piscotti, and Mark Hanna, all guys that are in that neighborhood with Mark Hanna. He's went deep 17 times so far this year. With Olsen, he's getting a home run, I would say, every 13 or so at-bats. He's got at least 20 of them. Chris Davis, he's only got seven home runs ever since the beginning of May, and is only hitting at 230, so he certainly has been a little bit of dead weight, and Jerickson Profire is only hitting at 210, but then you take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals. Got a lot of guys that have been up and down this year. Matt Wieters and Dexter Fowler are two guys hitting between a 238 and a 248. Paul DeYoung and Paul Goldschmidt have really been anchoring the team. Paul Goldschmidt had a stretch in which he had seven home runs in a nine-game span. He now has 25 home runs, hitting right around a 260. Paul DeYoung hitting just above a 250. His home run count currently at a 18. You get back Marcel Ozuna. That is huge. Before going on the injured list, he had 20 home runs, was hitting right around a 260. But then you've got Jose Martinez has been solid with the bat. He's hitting a 275. Taylor Edmond hitting between a 255 and a 260 himself. And Colton Wong has upped his average with 270 as well. And you even got Yario Munoz hitting a 275. So with the St. Louis Cardinals, you've got some solid bats. And I do think that they're going to be able to get a little bit off of Tanner Roark. But with the Oakland A's, they've got one of the best bullpens out there in the big leagues as well. And I do think that this is a spot where Adam Wainwright just has his road woes pop up on him. So for that reason, we're going to be going with the Oakland A's. And I'm going to be taking this total over. With regards to the over, I've already locked that in at 9. I feel very good about that, especially with this being an afternoon game. The Marine layer is not going to be out in Oakland. And with the A's, currently waiting to see because I'm just seeing so much money coming in on the St. Louis Cardinals. And that will do it for the Saturday edition of MLB Overtime Betting. A big thanks to our man Jake Asman with SB Nation Radio for joining me in the second segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. And if you have a question for the podcast, you can feel free to tweet that in at GNADUNDERSQUARE81 and let's make today a successful, profitable, and fun one. I'll talk at you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.